Welcome to The Reforming Lounge, a podcast on spiritual formation for the wandering heart. Every Wednesday, we gather to discuss questions centered around mental health and discipleship in the context of the local church. All right, guys, good morning. Welcome to The Reforming Lounge. We're here hanging out, drinking a bunch of coffee. How are you doing, bro? Good. going to answer at some point? Sorry. Sorry, I was you're distracted. See, so you're doing it again. You're not <laughs> present, man. You're not. I'm here. Like, well, I was you know, pulling up that video to you tell know what you about. that does for me. It triggers me, right? Oh. It makes me feel undervalued. It makes me feel um, like you don't want to validate our time. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I guess yeah. that's the equivalent of a stonewall on a podcast because I yeah. can't just like stare at you. That would just sound weird. It does sound weird. It would sound weird if I stare <laughs> at you. <in> silence. <laughs> no, I was, I don't know if you could hear it, but I was pulling up the video that I was just telling you about. And uh, then it played and I was like, crap, is that like super loud right now? No, I but, didn't even hear it. I don't think I did. Um, well, how about this? So for those uh, for those listeners who are new to this podcast, why don't you introduce yourself? What do you do? Why are we doing this? Go from there and then I'll go. Yeah, dude. I'm Mike Fowler, licensed marriage and family therapist, practicing in Texas, available online, FowlerFamilyTherapy.com. If you need some counseling, hit me up. Uh, and we're doing this out of conversations that I guess we started having. I mean, we had before the pandemic, but I think they were amplified. Oh man, that is such a cool coffee cup. It is amazing. Sorry. Yeah. No, I get Dude. it. I'll talk about my coffee cup in a bit. Okay. Okay. <laughs> then I can talk about mine. Cause I have an awesome one right now too. Oh my God. Um, yeah, because we were talking about emotional health in the church, mm-hmm. um, in many different ways and probably just some things, uh, you know, personally, probably that we're going on too. back at the time that all this started. Yeah. Um, and I know you were seeing a lot of, I guess we were both seeing similar things, obviously from different perspectives though, me being a mental health clinician, that's like involved in the church. Yeah. And then of course you leading the church, yeah. um, leading your, your local congregation. Um, and so I think we just started having really interesting conversations about that and, mm-hmm. Uh, kind of holes that we were seeing um, that were either caused from a misunderstanding of science um, or bad theology or both. Yeah. And we're like, Hey, what can we do about this? (laughs) I guess we ended up here. This is also, I mean, that's all true. What about your coffee mug? What's your coffee mug? Dude. So today I'm rocking my RC Sproul. What's wrong with you people mug. So we got the quote on one side. Sprawl on the other. I mean, that's pretty face. pent, dude. Dude, yeah. I know. It's it's one of my favorite mugs. So I feel like I have to, like, if I have it in counseling, though, I try to keep it on the sprawl side. So they're just like, who's this old guy on his cup? So they don't think I'm like rocking the, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Like I'm yeah. like subliminally messaging what's wrong with you. Yeah. I talk that's good. <laughs> so. Yeah, man. Um. 
about me. I'm a what? What, what do I say? I'm so I'm I'm, I'm a pastor. That's it. Now, okay. yeah, I'm a I'm a pastor uh, here in Texas as well. But I'm I'm like eight hours south of you, so I'm like <laughs> ten minutes north of the U.S. Mexico border in a town city called McAllen. And so, uh, yeah, I pastor at Storehouse Community Church. I'm the preaching and teaching pastor there. And apart from that, um, yeah, I, I, this podcast really just comes as a result of us having ongoing conversations centered around, I think primarily it was discipleship. And then discipleship started bleeding into, particularly as you started practicing and I was um, replanting a church and beginning to have a lot more counseling uh, sessions and, and reaching out to you for help and advice and resources. Uh, but then from there, in light of the pandemic, seeing how that was beginning to affect the church in particular. Um, so that's how all of this came to be. Uh, as far as my coffee mug. Uh, so this is a black rifle coffee uh, mug. Yeah. They just opened a location over by us in Fort Worth. That's awesome. There's one in San Antonio and nice. I try to go there regularly. Uh, I love black rifle coffee. Um, I love black rifle coffee products. Um, they're, they're coffee beans. So a friend of mine, who I was telling you about earlier, um, who serves in the military. I was asking him about several of these veteran-owned coffee companies, whom I love. I'm going to say that right now. I I support our veteran-owned companies because they're awesome. Um, and so, as far as their coffee bean goes, like Black Rifle Coffee, Rogue American Apparel, um, or Death Wish Coffee. Is it? Yeah, no, uh, Rogue American, and then yeah, Death Wish Coffee. Um, their beans taste burnt. But that is kind of the point. Like it kind of takes them back to them serving in the military. Like coffee is really, really uh, like a, a the darkest shade of black. It's very strong. It tastes it's strong both in in strength but also in flavor. Just you know because it kind of tastes a little a little burnt. Um, and so if that's not your thing, then you may not enjoy it. But um, I drink it from time to time. I personally prefer Black Rifles, uh, their Keurig cups. We have some at our office mm -hmm. and those are way tasty, man. I love those. Really? Kind of weird. Yeah. But yeah, no, yeah. I dig them. That's an interesting point. I hadn't heard that. Uh, it was yeah. a veteran client that told me about Black Rifle Coffee. Okay. And we checked it out and we use it for our cold brew that we make at home. Oh, nice. Um, but I, I don't know that I've ever actually had it hot. Yeah. Just like yeah. a normal straight cup of black coffee. Yeah. And maybe it tastes uh, way better with cold brew. I haven't had it in cold brew, but apart from that, man, their products, man, I dig all of it. I got shirts, I got patches, I got coffee mugs, all of yeah. it. I'm down. It's dope. Um, so, anyway. all right. But yeah, the closest yeah. one to me is in San Antonio. And it's a gun and we're talking about triggers. Yes. This is an assault rifle or a long Boom. rifle. Um, yeah. So segue. Uh, this morning, we're going to be talking about triggers. Um, <laughs> and so, okay, like we we have a couple of general notes that we go off of every time we do these, the, we, we do these episodes and um, under triggers, you kind of help me walk through kind of the process or part of the episode or some of the things that we're going to tackle on the episode before talking about like what why people have triggers and, and what they're used for, how would you, because I like, I know triggers exist, but how would you define it clinically? If, if, yeah, if, if at all, how would you define triggers? Uh, sort of the way that I define emotions. 
Uh, it don't that, matter. It's, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, no, a, a trigger is literally just a like a warning sign, essentially. Right. And it actually comes from the part of your brain that there is no thought that goes into it. So it's not like I'm taking the information and I'm deciding that it triggers me. It's my brain reacting to an unknown stimulus at that point mm. that there could be danger. I actually had a really interesting experience the other day that I it made me think about the process of like when you're hit with a trigger, because I was walking out of Kroger. Seriously, it's weird, dude. Yeah. As because a trigger hits you within like fractions of a second. That's what okay. I'm saying. There's no like cognitive thought process that goes along with it. It's just straight up a reaction. Right. When we're talking about an actual trigger, we'll get into cultural triggers, which is kind of a different thing. Okay. But so I'm walking out of Kroger, right? And I'm like, I don't know, just like not really scanning the parking lot, just like heading towards my car. Mm -hmm. And I see something like kind of in my periphery that my brain reacted to really quickly as if someone was being attacked. And I didn't think attack, but I was just like, I need to look over there. And I look over and it's just a woman pulling her baby out of the car. And so like, she like pulls it up and then the baby's like coming down on top of her. Right. And so what happens when, when we're hit with a trigger is there's an initial appraisal of, is this dangerous or is this not? And then that causes us to check it out and then do a reappraisal where we actually are using the cognitive portion of our brain that's thinking about Hmm. if it's a danger or not. Right. So when I see this woman picking up her baby, I don't know that's what's happening. I just see this kind of weird situation out of the corner of my eye where I'm not even looking directly, but it caused my brain to direct my attention there to see what was happening. And once I did, obviously I'm like, oh, it's a woman pulling her baby out of the car. Right. And I just Mm -hmm. move on. Mm -hmm. But in some sense, I was triggered by that. Right. Because it caught my attention and caused me like, to focus on a certain situation. And then once I realized there was no danger there, then I moved on. Whereas if I look and some woman's being attacked at her car, that's a very different situation. Right. right? And then my brain's going to say, I need to respond to this. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a super quick thing. It's a thing that we all like literally everybody, that's just how your brain works. And in some sense, it's to be able to keep us safe and to be able to protect us. Because if we didn't have that part, then if something like that happens and our brain doesn't respond, then there's no way for us to really defend ourselves. That's really fascinating because I'm I'm, I'm processing what you're saying, but it's really fascinating because it doesn't sound as it doesn't sound as sound as what I think cultural triggers may be. And I want you to speak into that because that sounds very, I don't know, logical, nuanced, whereas cultural triggers, I think, and you're really going to like lead on this, but like, whereas I think cultural triggers may not necessarily be, that doesn't mean, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, that's, yeah. I'm processing what you're saying. That was really good because I don't yeah. think of that, any of that stuff. Um, sure. And so that sounds <clears throat> neurologically, it sounds very sound. It sounds nuanced. It sounds you're, you're um, investigating like what's going on yeah. versus what I think may be cultural triggers and the absence of what you just said and to some degree, I think. Yeah. So yeah. how would you define cultural triggers? 
man, <laughs> it's, I feel like that's so much harder to define because the way that the word trigger tends to be used in yeah. the culture is like anything that bothers you. Right. Yeah. And so that's completely subjective, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like if, if I, um, and if I have some really strong opinion about um, like caged free food, right. And I'm, seriously, I, cause I feel like this is the type of stuff where this comes up. Right. Like if, if I feel very convicted about like, only eaten like free range eggs, right? Yeah. right? Where the, the chickens are <laughs> treated completely differently and someone else doesn't care about that. There's ranges of response to that, right? Yeah. I think someone that can't, they, they understand people and they understand that people are not always going to agree on certain things. Right. You can feel very passionately about something and still understand that other people aren't going to feel that way all the time. Right. Right. And so I think where the kind of the group that we tend to see where there's like this huge response to like, oh, you, you triggered me. It, it really comes out of just emotional instability of not being able to handle emotional distress. And then sometimes the culture really feeds into that where it's like, yeah, you really need to be intentional about not triggering people. But it's like, dude, if someone was like in a, like when you think about trauma, <clears throat> I think we can kind of back up to this point, but in a general sense, trauma doesn't always just happen from like a war situation or like a sexual assault, right? Mm -hmm. Which tends to be kind of some of the things that people think about or child abuse, mm -hmm. right? When they think about like PTSD or trauma, but trauma in a really general sense can just be like an experience that changes the way that we think about ourselves, the way we think about other people or the way that we experience the world. Mm -hmm. And that's a really broad category. So if someone is traumatized because they were in a musical in fourth grade, are we just not supposed to do musicals because we don't right. want to trigger someone right. that has that experience? And that's not to you know act as if that didn't matter because there could be some really horrible situation with that, right? Mm -hmm. Part of the reason why we actually have a lot of research on childhood trauma is there was a situation, dude, I think it was in like the 80s or something. Mm -hmm. I forget. But um, three men hijacked a school bus and it was full of children and they buried them alive. And good thing is they did recover it, but they were evaluating the kids afterwards to see if they were, you know, responsive or not and see if they were traumatized. And initially the ideas was that, you know, they looked fine physically. There must not be a problem with them until this researcher comes in and actually does some real work. But so in a situation like that, right, it's a school bus. It's just being on a school bus. That's a normal experience right. that for this specific group of people in this really horrendous, but very abnormal situation, they're probably triggered by school buses now. Right. 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 Which, which they should be. That makes sense. Yeah. And so that's where tra traumas and triggers are actually somewhat adaptive is it's just learning behavior. Yeah. So if I'm in a situation like that, then my brain is going to remember that whether I've dealt with the trauma and processed it or not, my brain is going to remember that experience and it's going to be, it's going to change the way that I think about things. Right. That's really um, interesting. So 
one of the things you said a while ago, I wonder how heavy of a statement this is, because I feel like it could be very, it could be addressed very broadly. You mentioned individuals who are, as an example, sensitive to the context of cultural triggers. Um, you mentioned they may be emotionally unstable to handle emotional distress. I feel like that's a, that's a very significant statement but it ha- but it but it's also a broad statement because that could run three inches deep that can go thirty feet deep, you know what I mean sure sure and so I don't necessarily have a follow up question because I think that's very profound right like uh, in individuals some individuals who have emotional instability are unable to handle emotional distress and I think you you said something really additionally you said something really good that sometimes culture feeds into that where I think individuals um, are not taught how to grow in perhaps emotional intelligence in light of what is going on around them or just life in general. And it's a hindrance when culturally uh, trends, uh, the digital age um, in various influences speak into just don't trigger anybody like just shut everything down. And so it it hinders everyone's, it sounds like it hinders people's emotional intelligence to grow in their stability and to grow in confronting, addressing and handling distress. Yeah. Would that, is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. Um, And I do want to just back up a little bit and say that that's not always the case. I want to reemphasize that, right? Yes. That's not, always an indication of uh emotional instability because right. i also think that like i think that's why i meant it's so broad like right it, it could go three inches deep and it's not I, I suppose how you address it isn't as i don't know as in depth as as one might assume but yeah there may be some individuals in cases where it really is this like abyss of of stuff that you need to help them work through yeah. Yeah. It can really, really vary because yeah. then there's other situations, right. Where like, like a, I think most of us um, would consider it problematic, maybe not triggering necessarily, right. but it's like just any kind of basic understanding of tact um, and, you know, respect for like distressing situations. There's just kind of jokes that people would stay away from, you know, right. naturally that's like, generally culturally understood unless you're in like middle school or high school or something, you know, and it's like the really jarring offensive stuff is more funny sometimes. Um, But then, you know, as the prefrontal cortex in our brain develops and we tend to start to make smarter decisions, then that's why there's certain areas where like comedians wouldn't even touch it as a joke generally, Mm -hmm. you know, because they're there. It is like culturally triggering. Um, So some of that stuff that we talked about, right? Like war experience, most people aren't stupid enough to make fun of that. Right. right? Right. I remember there was an SNL dude uh, a few years ago, and he was like mocking a war vet and it was like a like it was it was pretty big in the news Uh and it's because it's it's one of those things where if you're not an idiot you understand the depth of a situation like that and it's not something to be taken lightly in any regard if you have a a view of human dignity in any regard it's it's not okay to joke about right Uh, and so there's things like that that i think are definitely important that we do you know, try to show respect for. Um, But when you get into the weeds of it, of like, 
you're triggering me because you're making a joke about hot sauce and a needle, right? <laughs> I told you that. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, that's a situation where I'm just like, like, would I make a joke about like drug use as a 30, you know, dude, 31, 32, I forget how old I am, but would I make that joke? Probably not just right. because of my level of awareness and like the population that I work with, like in my experiences, that's not really something that I would probably joke about, Right. but it's also something where if I see that I'm stable enough to say this dude made a joke that maybe I don't agree with. Right. And I can move on from that. I'm right. not going to tear them down. Right. Because of my own, you know, whatever. Right. So, right. Which is where I think it gets really wild with the, gets, with the yeah. trigger stuff. Dude, is it's yeah. like, if you touch a trigger, then I can say whatever I want to you, which yeah. is huge. Like just such a huge overreaction in the other yeah. direction. Yeah. I, I, I feel like there are three things. I don't know that we would address them all here, but we can, but I feel like there are three things. So there's like emotional intelligence, right? Like growing in emotional intelligence so that you'd be able to make I said, maybe smarter decisions, process emotions, process what you're experiencing um, in a very broad cultural sense, I suppose. And then, so I, I think about that. Then I think about number two, uh, individuals who respond um, with extremes to triggers I think about them imposing convictions on other people um, culturally or people who don't agree or excuse me, people who don't even know um, what is actually going on. Like, in other words, if I impose my conviction upon people, especially not telling them what my conviction is, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting them to understand why I'm coming from where I'm coming from. And, and that's just not going to work particularly with a stranger. So I think about imposing conviction. So number one was emotional intelligence. And I don't know if that would be the right um, phrase, but emotional intelligence, I think about imposing conviction. And then I think about a lack of tolerance. You know what I mean? In, In the sense that like I may disagree or I may have different experiences, but by imposing my conviction or imposing my trigger, whatever, however I think it's worded, by imposing that upon people, I actually demean them and uh, I remove or create a space where there is now a lack of tolerance because no matter what you think, I'm right, therefore you need to it's it's a like I'm forcing someone or I'm trying to force someone to assume my conviction, and that's really uh, I want to use another word, but it's really jacked up. <laughs> yeah, it's really jacked up because that's I internally that is incredibly selfish and aggressive. That doesn't mean that there aren't things that that individual may necessarily need to address or experiences that they've had that have shaped how they feel about certain things or believe certain things. I'm not knocking that, but I am temporarily shelving that, (laughs) right? Because at the heart of this, man, there's a lack of tolerance. And if there's a lack of tolerance as a Christian, if there's a lack of tolerance, then I can't love my neighbor, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's, and and that's, that's literally what Jesus said. Like Jesus is, you know, everybody always like, uh, I shouldn't say everybody, many people always champion Jesus for calling out the Pharisees, but not many people also realize that he else, he's, he, he loved them. He calls them out. He doesn't compromise, but he also loves the Pharisees. I mean, he, in addition to the Pharisees, you see him having uh, like lunch with 
like sinners at the table and everybody's kind of scoffing at him because he's with like tax collectors and drunks and prostitutes and, and he's having lunch with these individuals. He's sharing a meal. And so <clears throat> when I remove, uh, I suppose, tolerance, I remove my inability to, or I remove my ability to actually love someone um, in a way that the greatest command tells me to, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. Which if you, if you're not, if, if your foundation isn't the Bible, right. Mm -hmm. If you're, if you're your own God and you decide what's right and wrong, then there's no problem with that. Yeah. Right. This deciding I I can love people as long as they're not a Democrat or as long as they're not a Republican Mm -hmm. or as long as they don't see, you know, COVID differently than I do or any of those things. Right. Yeah. But, but we don't have that (laughs) benefit. Yeah. if we're coming from scripture, because I, I, when you talk about that example of, you know, him eating with the tax collectors and then being rebuked by the Pharisees, it makes me think about how, like, if all that God does is for our good and his glory, that that situation, I think it's easy for us to look at it and say, well, obviously, like he was benefiting whatever side we end up deciding that he's right, benefiting. Right. But in that moment, I mean, he's impacting the Pharisees and their understanding of who God is mm-hmm. and what love looks like, mm-hmm. but he's also impacting the people that he's sitting with, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like he's taking a side there. Yeah. I think that's where we can kind of get is we trying to, I mean, just like they tried to do back in the day, right. Is take Jesus and put him into their camp and, right. and whatever it is right. and try to make a scriptural founding for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, going back to what you're talking about with like a lack of tolerance, I think what's so ironic about that is it's almost, and I'm sure you've probably seen it even more being in ministry, but like this cultural shift of, it seems like for a while, the idea was tolerance and like, just let people do what they're going to do. Let people think what they're going to think. You know, the church yeah. needs to just chill out with telling people how to live. Yeah. And now it's like, that's kind of turned into its own religion of yeah. if you don't do these things, then there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Right. It's like, it's, it's, it's not a stance out of religiosity. Um, well, I guess it would be a stance out of religiosity, not, not the Bible itself, but kind of its own form of this is what's right. And if you're intolerant, then there's something wrong with you. Right. But I think the the rational view of that would be it, if that's what you're saying is most important is being tolerant, then you have to take that to the nth degree and be tolerant of the intolerant. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're right on. Because here's the thing. Like if I remove, if I impose conviction, um, l- looking at this from the perspective of Christian worldview, if I remove, or excuse me, if I've been posing conviction upon someone because of my mm-hmm. experience or my, my whatever, um, if I'm imposing conviction upon someone and I, mm, because of my lack of, I suppose, emotional intelligence to handle emotional distress and I remove tolerance, I'm now, I now remove the ability to actually love someone who God has called me to love in spite of them being having different convictions or values. In addition to that, by suppressing tolerance and having the culture preach, you do you, you love yourself, live your life how you want to live. Basically it's, it's a, it's, it's the doctrine of relativism 
And so, so when that is impressed upon people, particularly within the church, the church, I don't want to say loses her ability, but definitely forfeits her ability to deny herself. And that's literally like, that's the response of the Christian where the culture says, love yourself. Jesus and the gospel says, deny yourself. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, dude, that stuff gets so that I, I feel like we always end up coming back to like being grounded in scripture, but I, th- yeah. I think that's why we have to be is because we're getting that message all day, every day. Yeah. And it, in some ways it does make sense. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think it's much more palatable than this message of deny yourself. Yeah. And so if you're in a church where maybe they're not even heretical, but they're also not confronting the truths of scripture, mm-hmm. then they're just trying to be relevant with whatever's hot at the time. Yeah. Um, and I want to go on a tangent about some of the sermon <laughs> series that I've seen around here, dude, it's wild. This church up the street from us, they literally have their, their sermon series is friends and they have nice. uh, like the graphic from the show friends. Uh-huh. And I just can't, I can't handle it. There you go. That's how you do it. <laughs> Uh, anyway, yeah. if you're in that stuff, that's that's not confronting like the complexity of these ideas, right? No, I oh, think that we have I mean, to be in a position. Oh. I was like, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, th- I think we have to be in a position where we're able to identify these things for what they are. Have kind of like you're talking about the emotional intelligence, the emotional stability, yeah. uh, to be able to sit with the discomfort of that um, and not be, you know, like going back to our conversation, I think sometimes people are triggered by people talking about triggers, Yeah, right? Which yeah. is just as irrational as like being intolerant of intolerance. Yeah. So it's, it's the same thing of like making far too much out of one thing, Yeah, you know, yeah. because kind of on the other side of where I see triggers being a problem is kind of like we we're talking about emotionalist and, and stoicism. Um, and it seems like people maybe fall into the same camp sometimes mm-hmm. um, in this regard. But like, if you are really like focused on, you know, the things that could be triggers for people and stuff like that, that kind of the other side of this is, well, I don't want to be like that. So I'm just going to be like Mm -hmm. as brash and offensive as I can be for the sake of it. Right. You know? Yeah. I, I have, I can think of a couple of scenarios where I've seen individuals um, experience traumatic events that led them to embrace what they would consider boldness and hey i'm just going to show you who i am and if you don't like it that's that's that and you know there there is some wisdom somewhere in there um but that's not the motivation the motivation now is if you get offended that's your problem if i hurt you that's your problem if you don't like what i'm saying also your problem and um and that's a really that's a very angry and self-righteous response to a lack of evaluation on what happened that they experienced processing that almost everything that we talked about in the last episode regarding emotions, like there was a lack of process, almost like a lack of intentional process. I think some people need to be discipled and led to walk through a process. I think there are some individuals who know that they may need to process and willingly choose not to. 
because this other extreme is just better. If I shut down, it's just better. If I respond poorly, that's your problem. Like, and so, um, yeah, I, I, I've seen that in the context of the church where, where an event leads an individual to willingly go to a, a completely different side and respond just as extremely, um, and I think the key there in that scenario, at least, is they willingly chose to go there. They, they willingly chose to not walk through some sort of discipleship process to help them begin working through their experience. Um, and then, again, like I said, then there are others whom you just need to um, lovingly come alongside and disciple them through them. You don't want to, you know, not validate what they're thinking or their experience um, or, or yeah, yeah, you don't want to not do that. But you also don't want to compromise on on the truth of scripture and the truth of their of them imposing uh, their convictions on others. Yeah, yeah, it's so messy. It, it's such it an is. unclear place to be, which I think is what makes it so difficult in some ways. Yeah. Is and you know, I mean, only thinking about discipleship, right? Right. Like if we just focus in on that alone. It's so messy. You have no Dude, idea what is. you're going to be getting it, it's, into. Discipleship is clear as mud. Yeah. And, um, and so like, for instance, I think about, again, all of this like goes into this big spider web, I think like, um, and so I was talking to an individual who was telling me that alcohol um, is a struggle for them. And um, man, they, they don't want to drink. Uh, because of some of the experiences that they've had. And to that, I was like, absolutely, totally get you. And then they started asking me, for instance, if I invite people to, so there's a neighborhood pub on our side of town, and this is not a formal event. Let's just say this is after church service and, hey, you want to grab some lunch. If I invite people and they go, and, and this individual who struggles with alcohol, if they go, they wanted to let me know that not only do they not feel safe, but... um it's not wise of me to invite them. And, and this is the first time I'm hearing about all this. And this is kind of going back to slight, I think it's imposing conviction to a degree. And what I mean by that is one, um, this individual in the context of the local church who is serving, participating, like they're involved in the life of the church has never mentioned this. Mm-hmm. And so it's, so as lovingly as I could, in essence, communicating that it was kind of unfair for me to assume that they knew that I knew that they struggled with alcohol when it's never been communicated to me. In addition to that, we started talking about personal responsibility. Like, Hey, there, there is like, I want to love you. I don't want to cause any area for you to stumble. And there is personal responsibility on your end to say something or to make a conscious decision and not go or go and ask someone to hold you accountable so that you just have iced tea. But you, can't impose that on me, particularly when I don't know, and no one else knows either, uh, to, um, uh, by doing so you remove personal responsibility. Yeah. And, and I think that is, and that man, I don't like being put in those situations because you kind of sound like the bad guy and it almost sounds like you're like, what's the matter with alcohol? And that's not what I'm saying. So at the end of our conversation, I remember at the end of our conversation, I, I, I told this individual, Hey, one thing I want to be super clear on, if this is a conviction you have, do not change it, man. Stand on this. I'm not here to persuade you to change it. And I want to love you and I want to honor you in this area. So know that. And that doesn't annul personal responsibility. And 
their response to that was that they appreciated it, but they said, Hey, you know, this is really sensitive information. I can't just tell anyone. I was like, oh, I understand. I, and I'm, and I'm not suggesting that you just post this on social media. However, if you're not going to tell anyone, then you're going to continually impose this conviction on others. And, um, you remove their, you remove the gift of them loving you well, and you remove the gift of them denying themselves to serve you in, in a multitude of these areas. And that's not fair to them. And so I think there, there is some of that when it comes to, to triggers, I think there is, you know, we talked about imposing conviction, removing tolerance, but it's also, there tends to be a lack of responsibility, personal responsibility on the individual, not to say that others don't need to respond a certain way, or they themselves need to have emotional intelligence, but the individual who is triggered at times seems to neglect and maybe that's a strong word, but neglect personal responsibility. Yeah. 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 That's a good example. Uh, and what's ironic about that is um, there is uh, this aspect of what would, what would be required of that would be the vulnerability of, of stepping into this mm-hmm. position where you're saying, Hey, this is a struggle for me. I just need you to know, you know, which is mm-hmm. hard to tell anybody really. Absolutely. But when you're getting these messages from the culture that everybody's supposed to magically know this information yeah. about you and avoid all triggers in that regard, yeah, um, that it's it's hard not to see past that because there's yeah. so many other people saying the opposite of what you're saying. And so that was that was something they mentioned. Sorry to interrupt, but was, you mentioned a word. There was something that they they mentioned. So not so to be completely fair. Yes, it was it was very vulnerable for this individual to say, hey, I've actually had to struggle with this. But wow, I didn't know. Thank you for sharing. Let's talk about it some more. But in addition to that, right, as they have received uh, professional help, the help that they have received has been um, if you're an addict of X, Y and Z, your job is to go around it. So there is not only and that was the language they used. And so there isn't only this imposing assumption that you should know that I struggle with this, even though I have no idea or anyone else, but there's also this counsel where they received that says, rather than actually having some personal responsibility, go around it. And so I gave the example, I was like, man, that's, that's really difficult. I think. And they said, well, I don't see how. And I said, well, it's fine. There's yes, there's a pub here, but this pub also has like really good appetizers and lunch specials and dinners and all that. And I say that because what's the, what keeps you from going to Longhorn Steakhouse? Like what, what keeps you from going to Applebee's Chili's? Like they have their happy hour there. Yeah. Um, And so um, again, I, I think they're, they're, there becomes a lack of personal responsibility in me imposing conviction, me imposing and assuming that you should know about my conviction. Mm-hmm. because this is bad, or I say it's bad because of my experience, even though I don't know your experience. And then two, being counseled to continually go around it rather than mm-hmm. having some personal responsibility in making sound decisions to say, no, I'm not going to go to that. Yeah. Um, hey, I've confided in one person. They're going to hold me accountable. You don't need to tell the rest of the table. Yeah. Um, so that that was the part that I, I, I think we were beginning to disagree on, but it was really difficult for me to like, well, then no space is safe other than Whataburger. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And honestly, I think there's some truth to that of what this uh, what they got because, yeah, yeah. like, um, in some ways, the the behavior that we have and the addictions mm-hmm. that can come out of that, the the habits that we have, it, it's almost like if it's like a it's like a muscle in the brain in mm-hmm. some ways mm-hmm. where it's just it's been formed over time so quickly that sometimes it can be hard to just not do it. Right. And so in a situation like that, depending on the person that I'm talking to, depending on the level of the problem, um, you know, it might be best for them to just stay out of a pub where it's much right. more prevalent, you know, right. where it's exactly. like the, the pub uh, where kind of the, the focus of it <laughs> is mm-hmm. to consume alcohol. Exactly. Varying degrees of appropriateness. Right. Right. And so, there, there's plenty of people that I would say the same thing, but that that still doesn't detach the situation of like, you still got to be upfront with people about what you're struggling with. If right. you expect them to know, you know, or, I mean, at the same time, you can just say, I'm not really into that. I'll catch y'all at the next thing. Right. You know, right. like if you don't want to tell them, then, I mean, I, I think there's value in telling people, there but is. it's also yeah. not the, the only option is yeah. for this person to know everything about you. Yeah. Additionally, one of the things I wanted to encourage them on was, Hey, you're, I'm not telling you to tell everybody. I'm not telling you that these are the only spaces where we do hang out. However, you've been here for, um, over a year. Therefore, you don't have any friendships. Like you're actually involved in the life of the church. Does community only, um, apply to specific formal ministry contexts like community group or discipleship. So you're telling me in 12 months or a year and a half, you haven't invited anybody out to coffee just to hear their story. You connected with them at community group and you haven't invited them out to coffee or, you know, uh, you serve on a couple of areas. Um, you haven't connected with anybody like, and I don't mean to demean or disparage anyone. Sure. But uh, uh, that's where it goes back, I think, to some level of personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so so in that conversation, not that I felt triggered, uh, but part of that conversation was like, man, now I have this information. Man, I don't want to walk on eggshells because I don't I didn't know um, <laughs> they had, yeah. they had called um, they had called uh, my wife a couple of uh, weeks ago and they were asking about discipleship groups. So smaller mm-hmm. gatherings, two to three people, kind of like, like you guys have our like fight clubs. So same concept. And, um, <laughs> and so Rebecca goes, she goes, man, well, when we get together, we open our Bibles, we pray together, we confess in together, man. And sometimes we're just processing the week, you know? So we've opened, like, we'll have a bottle of wine sometimes. And, uh, and so now I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, now there's this pressure on Rebecca, but she didn't know. And like, there's this web of eggshells now, um, based on one person that's me having this information and like, what do I do with it? That's why I wanted to, Hey, I want to honor you and love you and respect your position and conviction. I'm not going to have you change. Um, because that's yours to go against conscience would be sin and, uh, keep doing what you're doing. So there must be some personal responsibility in communicating it to one person. Like I'm, I'm not in your group. I'm, I'm not in your daily life. Right. So, Yeah. Yeah. It can get complicated, man. And Dude. that's that's where I feel like it can get really messy is like that can leave you in a position where it feels like it's your responsibility when yeah. in some ways, right, there is like yep. Yep. like in uh what first Corinthians first Corinthians where it's talking about not like tempting your brothers when you right. actively know about some of these things. Mm-hmm. Right, right. 100%. And so 
But again, that would be like, man, it makes me think about a dude that I'm discipling. Uh, and we threw his bachelor party a few years ago. And I, I might've been one of the only people in the group that knew that alcohol was a struggle. And so we just stayed away from it. Like we went to eat. Some people got beer. He didn't, I didn't because I, I knew that that was right. something for him. You know, we went out to uh, like talk off or something afterwards. Mm-hmm. And some of the dudes in the group were like complaining about our activities and it being a, a bachelor party, but it wasn't bachelor enough. Right. And I'm just like, dude, like we're kind of on, like I was being trying to be intentional about honoring where I right. knew that this exactly. guy was, but ultimately other people were still drinking around him. That didn't cause him to drink. Right. Yeah. He still did what he was going to do. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, I mean, same thing. Like man, me having this piece of information, man, again, I want to honor them. want to love them. want to respect them. Um, and, uh, and if I'm connected to my local church and I've told one person who I'm actually not really in community with, like that puts them in a really awkward, not an awkward position, but a strange position. Like I, I can't, yeah. I can't do much um outside of following up and checking in i can't really do much so yeah yeah dude yeah man all right so i guess your takeaways then yeah what's the takeaway there's actual triggers there are actual triggers literally every single person has and that they're beneficial for you in a lot of ways yeah sometimes there's overreaction to triggers that come out of trauma that we can still be charitable with each other about Mm -hmm. right but then there's a whole other gamut <laughs> yeah. of whatever you consider to be a trigger as yeah. a trigger yeah. that might actually be an indication of some other issues. Yep. I agree. So. Cool, man. Dude, it was good. I really enjoyed it. Well, guys, yeah. that is our episode on triggers. Hit us up if you got any questions and uh, hope you enjoyed it. And we'll see you guys next week. Yes, sir. Thank you for listening to the Reforming Lounge podcast. Follow us on social media at the Reforming Lounge on Instagram. If you have questions, we want to hear from you. Visit the reforminglounge.com.